And I'm Sam. And, and we're, we're just, just here, here to, to cause chaos. chaos. I really think there's a lag. I think that's our problem. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so, it's been a busy week since... Yes, it has. Yeah. I got a new job. Sam has moved. Yeah. yeah. You also moved? Oh, like yeah. I did move. <laughs> we both changed cities. Ellen started a job. I'm starting one next week. This is like, life is happening. God. You know that life is exhausting? You have to do things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so if Ellen is a little quieter than usual, it's because she just worked two eight-hour days in a row for the first time, possibly ever. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> also to really, like, scramble to come up with the hyperfixation. You mean one that wasn't related to, like, healthcare software or whatever you do for work? I mean, it's- this one's still about healthcare, but, you know, it'll be- it'll be interesting. It's about history. Oh, I like history. Mm-hmm. Actually, I almost sent you a hyperfixation, but then I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta hold but, on to that. Yeah. Well, I was thinking- I'd make, like, the whole episode themed if I gave you a hyperfixation, but then I forgot, and also we aren't that coordinated. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but to get on with it, we're not learning about one woman today. We're going <gasps> to learn about four. White. <laughs> because, so the Olympics are going on right now. They'll be over by the time we this episode airs. But I decided that I wanted to do some Olympics history for this episode in honor of the fact that it's been on constantly in my house for the last two weeks. <laughs> um, and so... It's a good thing you're starting your job next week, because if you had time to research four different women... <laughs> well, the thing is, there wasn't enough about any one of them to... Like, I was, I was originally just going to do the f very first woman who competed in the Olympics, and then, like... There's very little about her out there past, like, the fact she competed in the Olympics and who she married. And so I was like, cool, that's not enough. And then I was like, what if I just did all of the women who medaled in the first time they had women in the Olympics? All right, fair. You get out of it this time. <laughs> so, first things first, let's talk about a little bit of Olympic history because it's important. So, Pierre de Coubertin founded the... Yeah. Founded the International Olympics Committee and organized the first Olympics in Athens in 1896. And he is quoted as having said that female athletes would be impractical, uninteresting, unesthetic, and incorrect. Unesthetic? Yep. Was this back when they were still making the men perform naked? <laughs> no, th this was the very first modern Olympics. But. <laughs> like and so, in the very first modern Olympics in, 19, in 1896, there were no women. Ugh, the past. Yep. However, the second Olymp Olympics was in 1900, and it was in Paris, and 22 women competed in five sports. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, the games weren't well organized by any means. They spanned from May 14th to October 28th, 1900, which is like... The better part of six months. Yeah. 
You know what? If you had told me you were doing the Olympics, I would have had my hyperfixation be the 1904 That's marathon. That's exactly what I was going to tell you to do, and then I forgot. <sighs> it's brilliant. So much happened, and none of it so was good. So much happened, and it's all funny. Okay, next time. <laughs> next time. Yeah, so the 22 women represented about 2.2% of all the athletes, and they competed in tennis, sailing slash yachting, because they called it yachting back then. So pretentious. I know. Croquet, which this was the only Olympics where croquet was a sport. Equestrian and golf. Cool. And these were all sports that could be done while wearing a modest long skirt. Because that was a requirement for female athletes at the time. Oh my god. So dumb. Yes. Although, side note, you know how Muslim women typically, if they're very religious, they'll like do that whole modesty thing mm -hmm. where they wear long sleeves, long pants? Yeah. So there's this one story about this Olympian who- The fencer? Yeah, yeah. She kept doing different sports and her mom was like, why can't you do something that covers up? And then finally <laughs> she chose fencing and her mom's like, this is the greatest thing. <laughs> I mean, I love her. She was the first person to win a medal in a hijab, right? think so. Yeah. But she is not who this is about because we're going to start with Helene de Portales. Ooh. Um, she was born Helen Barbie on April 28th, 1868 <laughs> in New York City to parents Henry Isaac and Mary Barbie. Um, her fa father was a director and financier of the Buffalo, Rochester and Pittsburgh Railway Companies. And her entire family was, like, kind of tangentially related to European nobility. Yeah, who isn't? <laughs> her maternal grandparents were tobacco tycoons. Her cousin won America's Cup three times for racing yachts. Her sister married a baron in 1903. Her uncle owned and raced thoroughbred horses and was the first American owner to win the British Derby. And a different uncle married a countess. She herself married Herman Alexander Count von Portales on April 25th, 1891, after his first wife died, which made her a countess. Ooh. He was a captain of the Royal Prussian Army under a unit that I can't pronounce, but it looks like cuirassiers, maybe? <laughs> but we're not going to make fun of me for that. No. And so she moved to Switzerland with her husband. And in the 1900 Olympic Games in Paris, she became the first woman to compete in the Olympics when she was a crew member of the Swiss boat, the Lorena, in the one to two ton sailing race. There was no standardized rules for sailing at the time, so each <laughs> ship followed the rules of the region they were from. My God. <laughs> the Olympics were just wild back then. So wild. Oh, my God. But there was also no standardized boats, hence why the categories were by ton. Of course they were. And she became the first woman to win a medal when her boat won the gold in the first regatta and the silver in the second regatta. Her husband was the helmsman of the boat and her nephew was also a crew member. Because at the time, pretty much European noble families had fleets of like fancy yachts and so pretty much everyone competing in like the yachting competitions were like european noble families 
Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And so Helene de Portales was the first woman to win a gold medal in any Olympics because this competition took place in like the first week of May, making it the very first one of the first things that happened in the Olympic Games and her the first one to compete and win a medal. Nice. Yeah. She died November 2nd, 1945. That was really all there was about her life. Fair enough. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to Charlotte Cooper. Ooh. Charlotte Cooper was born at Waldham Lodge in Middlesex, England on September 27, 1870, as the youngest daughter of Henry Cooper, who was a miller, and his wife, Teresa Georgiana Miller, which I found that funny that he was a miller and his wife's last name was Miller. Yeah? <laughs> Miller squared. <laughs> yeah, so she started playing tennis very young at the Ealing Lawn Tennis Club. And she became one of the only women of the time who served overhead. She also was known for her aggressive playing style that was not common in women's tennis. And she pretty much played like a man and won because no one else was doing that. Nice. She is the original Serena Williams. Pretty much. Oh, just you wait. She oh. went... I actually have some information about this one. It's fun. <laughs> um, she went deaf at age 26. However, that really did not stop her career even a little bit because she won her first single tennis championship in 1893. And between the years of 1893 and 1917, she competed in 21 Wimbledons. Wow. Right? She reached the semifinals in her very first appearance. She won her first title in 1895, so that was her third appearance. She won the, t the title in the singles tournament five times. The last time she won was, she was already a mother of two, and she was 37 years old. And deaf? Yeah. What an icon. <laughs> she is the oldest, she is to this day the oldest woman to win the Wimbledon singles tournament. And she had a record of going eight consecutive finals that was held until 1990 when Martina Navratilova reached her ninth consecutive finals match. Wow. Right? It's like, you know what? I forgot when the first one was, but a long record. Yeah. <laughs> she also won seven All-England Mixed Doubles titles, five of which with her longtime partner, Harold Mahoney, and once with Lawrence Doherty, and once with Xenophon Castagli. And so mixed doubles is like when a man and woman pair up to play tennis together. Do they still do that? Yeah, it's still a Wimbledon competition. Cool. And yeah, so she reached the finals of the very first ever Wimbledon female doubles competition with Dorothea Douglas 18 years after her first singles title. Yeah, no, she was a great tennis player. She's like gone down history as one of the greatest of all time women's tennis players. But at the 1900 Olympic Games, she won the gold medal in singles tennis, becoming the first female Olympic tennis champion and the first individual female Olympic medalist. Because yeah. you remember, Helene went on a team, so she was the first one to do it by herself. And no shade on Helena, but like, I'm sure tennis, like, actually had defined rules. <laughs> yeah, probably they had a couple of rules. <laughs> yeah, and she also won the mixed doubles title at the 1900 Olympic Games with her partner, Reginald Doherty. So that's pretty fun. 
and she continued to be active in competitive tennis and play in championship events until well into her 50s. Wow. On January 12, 1901, so post-Olympics, she married Alfred Sterry, who was a solicitor, which is an English term for lawyer, and he right. also was the president of the Lawn Tennis Association. <laughs> I wonder the how they met. Yeah. And the two of them had two kids, Rex and Gwen. Rex would go on to also be the president of the Lawn Tennis Association at another point. <laughs> and she died on October 10th, 1966, at the age of 96 in Helensburg, Scotland. Wow. In 2013, she was inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. That is Charlotte. She is super cool. Charlotte Cooper, we all stan. We do I, stan. Unfortunately, I keep now I just want to know how old Serena Williams is. I mean. Okay, Serena is 39. Damn. Wait, and she's still going strong. You go, girl. Ah, she might take away Charlotte's title as the oldest Wimbledon winner. Ooh. We'll see. It have to be any day now. Yeah. And the drama continues. Ooh. Yes. And so, next, we have Margaret Ives Abbott, who is not the wife of the Australian Prime Minister, who is also named Margaret Abbott. Of course. Um, <laughs> but Margaret. This ambiguation page of Wikipedia? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret Ives Abbott was born on June 15th, 1878, in Calcutta, India to Charles and Mary Abbott. Charles died soon thereafter and Mary moved the family to Boston. Hmm. Mary Abbott was a writer, reviewer, and novelist. And when Margaret was a teen, she became her mother became the editor of the Chicago Herald and moved the family to Illinois. There, Margaret and Mary became members of the Chicago Golf Club and Margaret soon started write, winning tournaments and was written up multiple times in the Chicago Tribune. In 1899, the mother and daughter moved to Paris so Margaret could study art with Rodin and Degas, and Mary researched a travel guide. And this put them in Paris in 1900, when the Olympics came to town. So, so wait, wait, were there not, like, I, did they not have Olympic trials? Was it just of whoever was- not. God, why did I think they did? They did at this point, they weren't even giving out, like, bronze, silver, and gold medals. The first place got, like, a porcelain bowl. A bowl? Yeah. Not even, like, a laurel reef, like in the olden days, but a bowl? So, we're actually going to get into a little bit of how awfully the Olympics were organized right now, because the Olympics were at the same time as the World Fair, and there oh, were- no one cared about the Olympics because of the fair. Yeah, so the World Fair was also going on in Paris, and a lot of the competitions were labeled as international championships, not as Olympic Games. Of course not. And so the Women's Olympic Golf Tournament was held on October 4th, 1900 at a course just north of Paris. However, the tournament was like advertised as an international championship, and so therefore Mary and Margaret both competed in it without knowing it was an Olympic event. Oh my! Yep. <laughs> Margaret won the first place prize and Mary came in seventh. However, and you're gonna like this, 
Margaret did not know she won an Olympic gold medal until, like, ever. She died before researchers figured out that she had no been an Olympic gold medalist. Because <laughs> researchers f were going through the, like, games and their records in 1955 and realized that there had been a women's golf tournament and realized that Margaret had they won it. straight up forgot! Yeah, and so they contacted her descendants and were like, hey, your mom was an Olympic gold medalist. And they were like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. That's so terrible. Just like, and, everything that could have gone wrong. <laughs> and since they didn't give out gold medals back then, they didn't start giving those out until the 1904 Olympic Games. She just took home a fancy bowl for her victory. And no wonder she didn't know she'd won the Olympics. <laughs> However, since her and her mom both compete in the tournament, they are to this day the only mother-daughter pair to ever compete in the Olympics in the same sport at the same time. I love it. Adorable. Also, women's golf back in the day was only nine holes instead of the traditional 18 like it is now because it was seen as harmful for women to be physically active for that long. Ugh. God, that's just... But by winning the tournament, Margaret became the very first American woman to win a medal at the Olympics. Yay! <laughs> Sorry, and I'm still was... reeling from the, they could only handle half the golf. <laughs> the absolutely physically demanding sport that is golf. Yeah, well, these were sexist times. We ju we're just gonna move on from that. This is also the only time women's golf was in the Olympics until 2016 when the games were in Rio and it was reinstated. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, later in life, slash 1902, so like two years later, Margaret married a writer named Finley Peter Dunn on December 10th, and they had four kids together. Finley Jr., Peggy, Leonard, and Philip. Adorable. Yep. And then she died on June 10th. 1955 at the ripe old age of 76 in Greenwich, Connecticut. Nice. Happy ending. Yeah. She was the featured athlete in the 1996 official program at the Atlanta Games for the 1900 Olympics. So pretty much the 1996 Atlanta Games did like a whole thing on her and had like a big piece on first I mean woman to win an American medal. That's good. She deserved it after yeah. not knowing. <laughs> and in 2018, aka three years ago, the New York Times published a belated obituary for her. Seriously? Yep. 60 plus years after her death. At that point, why? I don't know. <laughs> Was it a slow news day? I, it must have been. Not enough other people died for the, to fill up the obituaries? I found that and I was just like, why? <laughs> Can't find a reason for this, but okay. Also, now I'm just thinking, so you said that they were the only mother-daughter pair to compete in the same event. But what if a mom is pregnant with a daughter? Does that count? I don't think so, because like... The daughter's not competing. She's just, like, along for the ride. Fine. So, yeah. Those three women were the only three to medal in the very first time a woman were allowed in the Olympics in 1900. However, there is one more athlete that I just wanted to, like, 
shed a little light on at the time. Elvira Guerra was born in St. Petersburg, Russia around 1855. She was the daughter of a circus performer named Rodolfo. Oh, and we're she- already off to a great start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she grew up in Italy and performed as a horseback rider in her uncle's circus. Wow. Her uncle was Alessandro Guerra, who owned one of the largest circuses of the 19th century. And at the time, circus riding was really the only way for women to, like, professionally horseback ride. Seriously? Yep. Although, and what other professional... Oh, yeah, like jockeys cowboys. and stuff. Yeah. I mean, women could be cowboys. That's could where they? do you think cowgirls come from? Sexual fantasies? Most cowboys were gay. <laughs> what? Okay. We're not gonna touch that. <laughs> Elvira was the only woman to officially compete in the equestrian portion of the Olympics in 1900, so therefore she single-handedly allowed it to be five sports and not four, and and she competed in the hacks and hunters category. I don't know enough about horses to tell you what that means, honestly. But I'm sure it was impressive. Yeah. She did not actually medal, but she did open up an entire sport herself, so we're going to give her a round of applause. And also, I just really like the fact that she was a circus performer. I mean, yeah, that's exciting. (laughs) Uh, She died in Marseille, France, in 1937. And nowadays, there is a street in Bordeaux that is named Rue Elvira Guerra in her honor. Aww. Yeah. So those are all the women we're going to highlight from the first Olympic Games. A few more notes. There were three women who competed in the croquet competition on June 28th, 1900, but none of them medaled, and I really could not find out a lot of information beyond their names, but I'm going to say them. Oh, okay. They were Mademoiselle Onier, Madame de Presse, Mademoiselle Philou Bory. None of those were correct, I promise you. It sounded like they were just French women who were just there in Paris when the Olympics happened. They probably were. I mean, the first American woman to ever win a gold medal didn't know she was competing in the Olympics. So we're just going to leave that there. It's going to infuriate me for all time. Yep. And then in 1922, the Women's Olympic Games was established to counter the lack of women's events in the main games. And when the Olympic Committee objected to the name, the organizers changed it to the Women's World Cup, or Women's World Games. And the event continued happening until 1934, when they successfully campaigned for more women's events at the Olympics. Wow. Yeah, so for 12 years, they just had their own. Okay. (sighs) And then in 2012, in the 2012 Games in London... That was the very first time where women competed in every sport on the program. Nice. Yeah, so. Oh, wait, wait, although it took till 2012? Yep. That was a 116 years worth of Olympics, but you know what? We got there. Wow, I'm trying to think. What were the holdouts? I don't know. Probably stupid stuff, like shot put or something. <laughs> <sighs> My brother does throwing like shot put. And I know. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've seen some of the girls who are on his throwing team, and I wouldn't want to say that they couldn't compete. They scare me. Fair. Uh, there are so many sports that like don't need to be separated by like sex either, but they just are. 
Mm. Like, why does shooting and archery need to be separated by sex? That is a good example. Yeah. I think the studies have been, like, at peak performance, men are about, like, 10% more athletic than women. But, like, that's peak performance. Like, I understand separating it for, like, track and field and swimming yeah. and, like, things where, like, your height matters and whatnot. But, like, again. But, yeah, shooting and archery, like, that's just... Silly. Yeah. I also had a long discussion about, like, why is that, like, there are a lot, of, me and my sister came up with a lot of sports that were like, this doesn't need to have two. We didn't need to watch this twice. <laughs> Golf. <laughs> why? Well, I think we just don't want to watch Golf twice. I mean, I didn't want to watch Golf once, but my sister turned it on, so I watched it. <sighs> Slash I read my book while it was on the TV behind me. And pretend like I was spending time with my sister. Yeah, that, that's about all the engagement that golf deserves. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I watched Israel get destroyed at baseball. That oh. was a good time. <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> I mean, watching anyone get destroyed at a sport is fun. I don't like, like, it's just when one team's getting pummeled. I really enjoy that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I like the experience of over the course of an hour of watching a sport becoming an expert and just so harshly criticizing by the end. Oh yeah, my whole family can barely touch our toes. We were commenting on people's dismounts in the gymnastics competition. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally my mom was just there like, oh honey, you didn't stick that. And I was like, mom, you can't touch your toes. <laughs> Just like shoving chips in your mouth, like I could do better. <laughs> that is my family this last weekend. <laughs> so yes, that was the first female Olympians. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. That was very entertaining. I learned a lot. Yeah. Well, most of all, we once again learned that early Olympics were a mess. A mess. Can't believe they didn't have standardized rules for a whole ass sport. They just forgot. Not only they forgot, they just there was no like international sailing or yachting society at the time, and so everyone just had regional rules. <sighs> anyway, Sam, here is the random topic I learned about. Hit me. So, have you ever wondered about the history of general anesthesia? I'm gonna be real. I have not. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't think you did. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna get through this. So first off, the word anesthesia comes from some dude named Oliver Wendell Holmes, and he's like, it's from the Greek, from an without and. Um, some word that sounds like anesthesia, which means <laughs> sensation. <laughs> some word that sounds like anesthesia. <laughs> I don't speak Greek. <laughs> All right. So the first. I mean, clearly by my pronunciations, every week I speak every language. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I've gotten. <laughs> Do you want to list the three women? <laughs> participated in croquet again you want me to i will I, i'm good okay 
<laughs> have them still open. Great. All right. So the first attempts at anesthesia were probably just alcohol, <laughs> which, you know, works well and is, has the nice side effect of being a disinfectant. Well, I mean, that's what they do to babies at Briss's. Yeah. But the real good stuff was when we figured out opium. Oh, and by, opium. Uh, and by we, I mean the Sumerians. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those guys back in 3400 BC. <laughs> Some Sumerian tablets have, like, the words whole gill, which translates to plant of joy, which they're pretty sure means opium. <laughs> Plant of joy. <laughs> and oh. the, the term gill is still used for opium in certain parts of the word in the world because, you know, language. Yeah. <gasps> that good poppy. Yep. <laughs> and there were probably a few other different anesthesias that people had back then. The ancient Egyptians use some kind of mandrake extract. Anytime anyone says mandrake, I just think of that Harry Potter scene with the mandrakes and, like, they make people pass out if you hear their cries. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently it's a real plant. No, I knew that, but, like, every time someone says it, that's my first thought. <laughs> <laughs> and before ancient India and China got opium, they probably used weed. Nice. Yeah. Good good for Devil them. Devil lettuce. <laughs> Jazz cabbage. They I used... know a lot of names for weed. Do you want me to keep going? I'm good. They used <laughs> weed combined with wine, and then they cut you open. Cool. <laughs> oh. So that's what you do if the apocalypse happens. Yes. We haven't talked about why anesthesia is necessary. I've just described a lot of drugs to you. <laughs> Okay, so anesthesia is very important for, mo like, modern surgery mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. First off, it causes, you know, a little bit of amnesia, which is good when you're being cut open. <laughs> so basically, you're just not creating long-term memories. Did you ever get your wisdom teeth out? I did get my wisdom teeth out. And you did know, you do anything stupid? I was I thought I would do something funny. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm a pretty, you know, hype person. I was I have just a comedy sad. podcast. <laughs> I have a comedy pot. I got this. No. I mean, I could have seen that coming because you were you get really sad when you drink. Yeah. Whoopsie. I think I just drooled a lot, honestly. Yeah, my sister did have a fun reaction. She, so, my mom's a dentist, and she had been prepared by my wisdom teeth uh, adventure, so she preemptively asked, give me the teeth. So that she Gross. could, you know. Yeah, so that she could put them in her jar of teeth. Anyway. I have more questions now. <laughs> Does your mom not have a jar of your teeth? I mean, I think she had, like, a... She kept them when I was, like, a kid and first lost them. But I think they're all gone now. Oh, no. I know. I, my mom still has that jar. 
Okay, I remember I found my teeth actually once in like a drawer in my mom's room and I was very disturbed. <laughs> but I was also like 12. <laughs> my mom has one jar for each of us and they're labeled. Uh, my mom had all of my teeth in like a pla little plastic box that was shaped like a tooth. Okay, that's kind of cute. I don't think she knew what to do with them. <laughs> like I asked her why she had them and she was like, I didn't, I was, didn't know if I was supposed to just throw them out. <laughs> Honestly, it'd be more worrying, though, if my mom just had a singular jar. That'd be so much worse, oh my god. <laughs> anyway, sorry, the point of this. So, Allison comes home from, the, from wisdom teeth surgery and is, like, just completely out of it. And for some reason, ended up holding the little bag of her wisdom teeth and ended up doing this elaborate Snapchat video where she was like, the gang's all here. She sounds like your sister. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Allison, I know you're not listening to this because you never texted me from the last time I told you to text me. But if you hear this, text me. Let's <laughs> keep doing a shout out. <laughs> Every time we drag your sister on our show i'll tell her to text me she's never gonna listen to it so no i have told our friend jackie about my mom's jar of teeth and she had a similar reaction because i mean i get your mom's a dentist but it's still weird <laughs> anyway back to anesthesia oh yeah that's what we're talking about anesthesia also causes a lack of sensation which is good because you know you don't want to feel pain during surgery and it can also block like automatic reflexes like you know so you don't like punch someone when they stab you in the stomach yeah i'm sure it wouldn't be that like direct a correlation but yes i mean like i feel like your first instinct when you're getting stabbed in the stomach is to punch someone <laughs> I was thinking more just like flinching, because you're still unconscious. Anyway. I don't know, I've punched someone in my sleep before. Cool. I've been told I kick in my sleep. You do. Oh, okay. <laughs> but we haven't cleared that up. That's why we don't share a bed. <laughs> Is that the only reason? <laughs> I mean, there have been times where we could have shared a bed and we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I like my space. I know you do. When you came to visit, my mom was like, oh, is Ellen going to stay in your room? And I was like, no, she likes her space. <laughs> <laughs> Worked out. Yeah. All right. So that's why you need anesthesia. Because otherwise, this would be, most surgery would be too traumatic for anyone to do. Have you seen those, like, studies where they try and hypnotize people for, like, an epidemic? appendectomy or something i have not i have in this research i did see that like hypnosis is sometimes used yeah it doesn't work very well yeah it doesn't seem like it no yeah there's also a different a couple different kinds of anesthesia general anesthesia is you know that's the big stuff where you are out and gone and just it's you're not asleep, but it feels like it. Uh, and then there's like regional and local anesthesias, which will block some nerve impulses from specific 
parts of the body so that, you know, the patient can be conscious and it's not as, like, dramatic and doesn't require as much medical intervention. So, that's why we have anesthesia and the different types. And we have not kept on topic. <laughs> and I don't think it's worth it to keep on topic. So we're going to cover some of the highlights of the journey towards modern anesthesia. I like that this episode clearly shouts, you are tired. I'm a little loopy. We're just here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So one thing is that in China, there was some guy named Ban Ke, who may or may not exist, kind of like Emperor Wu. <laughs> you know, the, the damn guy. Anyway. No, I know. Yeah, he was a legendary Chinese internist and surgeon who reportedly used general anesthesia. And by reportedly, they mean that in a, like, uh, book of legends, he gave two men a toxic drink which rendered them unconscious for three days, during which he performed a gastronomy on them. Okay. So there's that. And then a guy who probably did exist was Wow Tu. Oh, and by the way, we're like in the the first guy was in 300 BC. This I had a feeling guys, it was something along those lines. Yeah, well, it's really far back when we don't know if they existed. Yeah. Yeah, this guy was like 145 like CE. Yeah. So he actually existed and actually used some kind of like potion, which was some kind of anesthetic dissolved in wine, but we don't know what it was because that got burned. You know. Was it because he was a witch? No, things just got burned. The church really did burn a lot of stuff. Well, actually, this one, we're not blaming the church. So. What? Someone other than the church burned things? Well, actually, it doesn't say... Oh, he burned his own manuscripts just before his death. Because he's petty? I guess. Okay. Anyway, Confucian teachings regarded the body as sacred, and surgery was a kind of, like, body mutilation. Because, again, surgery wasn't very good. Yeah. So, because of this, despite, you know, his this guy's success with general anesthesia... They just kind of stopped most surgery at all after that. It's like when we just decided to stop performing autopsies and just took some guy's word of what the human body was like in ancient Greece. Yeah, I mean, it's great to be able to knock someone out enough that you can cut them open, but like, it's not helpful if you don't know what you're doing when you get in there. Exactly. Yeah, and surgery before anesthesia was wild. So, (laughs) the goal was to get the surgery done as fast as possible. Because, you know, it's so traumatic. Yeah, because they're going to go into shock. (laughs) Yeah, which led to, you know, even weirder problems. So, 
the quintessential example is all those Civil War amputations where they just they got the guy as drunk as possible and tried to cut the bone off as fast as possible. Which leads to the legendary story of the one guy who performed a surgery with a 300% mortality rate. <laughs> he performs his amputation so fast. Like, about, it, I swear, it was under five seconds that the patient died. <laughs> He accidentally cut off his assistant's fingers, who got sepsis and then died. And then someone else just saw this and died from shock. Oh my god. That is some Silver War surgery right there. Yeah. So, once we'd figured out, you know, that we could do it slightly better... That that worked out. I mean, uh, I could give someone enough weed and wine to make them pass out till I could cut them open, but I wouldn't know what I was doing once I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my level of understanding of the human body is probably significantly better than like the doctors in 500 CE also. Yeah, I've you... taken more than one biology class and I'm a medical researcher. Fair. <laughs> oh. So, like... Another good medicine drug they used for anesthesia, cocaine. Yeah. They used cocaine for a lot of medicinal purposes back in the day. Yeah, in the late 1800s, they're just like, yeah, this will work. Uh, it's part of it is because it, you know, inhibits pain. I think they apparently how they figured that out was one researcher took it. And then... How'd <laughs> <laughs> I... Research used to be so much more fun than it is now. Like, I sit in a lab all day, and these guys used to just, like, do cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what I can't do for research purposes? Cocaine. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Sam. Instead, I'm here with, like, a microscope all the time. <laughs> it's in a dark room with a freaking microscope, and these guys were doing cocaine. I had, like, a semi-thought-out plan for how this was gonna go. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's past 7pm. I am in a mood. <laughs> All we've accomplished is we've learned. <laughs> okay, tell me the rest about anesthesia. I'm ready. I'll be quiet. No, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> There's just... <laughs> I'll stop complaining about not being able to do cocaine for work. Let's go. <laughs> Alright. Well, we're gonna do one more story. So, on September 30th, 1846, this dude named William T.G. Morton, who was a dentist, was, like, starting to figure out that nitrous oxide, <laughs> laughing gas, is, like, a good anesthetic oh so this guy was doing some experience with the nitric oxide and also diethyl ether which is another drug ah oh my god the history of ether is really fun nice uh, anyway he gave yeah, it to this sorry. dude named evan frost a music teacher from boston 
so that he could, you know, pull out his teeth. And he did this publicly because that's just, uh, they, well, I still do that with surgery, actually. Where it's like, it's like in, and the hospital and the other doctors can watch. Like other surgeons can come watch, yeah. Yeah, this might have been more public than that. (laughs) Yeah, no. Back in the day, they used to have, like, surgery theaters. It was, like, a thing. Wow. Because a couple years ago for work, I needed to go watch a surgery um, because I was doing, like, implant work and I needed to see how everything, like, went in properly. And I had to go through so much training and paperwork to go watch a surgery. Huh. All right. Well, this seemed much easier. I think you could just walk in. I think so, too. Was not yeah. very sterile either. So, basically, the point of this is that Morton proved that you can use diethyl ether, and so later on, actually, like less than a, a few weeks later, on October sixteenth, eighteen forty-six, some other guy named John War- Collins Warren removed a tumor with the help of uh, using the diethyl ether. And upon completion of the procedure, he says, quote, Gentlemen, this is no humbug. <laughs> and that's the line we're ending this on. <laughs> cool. So, Ellen, what'd you learn today? <laughs> I actually learned a decent amount. <laughs> I learned about one of the greatest female tennis players of all time. And how she has still held on to so many records in the tennis world. And I learned about the complete mess that was the 1900 Olympics, where they straight up forgot to make rules for the sailing event. And they, even worse, forgot to tell the winner of the... The women's golf tournament that she was an Olympic gold medalist. Admittedly, they didn't call it gold medalist at that time. It was just, like, winner. Sure. Olympic porcelain bowl winner. (laughs) God. And circus performers are dope. Circus performers are dope. Alright, Sam, what did you learn, if anything... Um, I learned about the history of anesthesia and but did about you though? drugs. <laughs> I learned some fun stories of the history of anesthesia. <laughs> I learned about real. a Chinese guy who may not have have existed. <laughs> um, I talked over you a lot. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway, as always. The general answer to anesthesia is opium. (laughs) I think that's the main takeaway. Nice. Yeah. Well, if you'd like to find (laughs) us on the internet, we are at chaos podcast on Instagram. We're at underscore chaos podcast on Twitter. You can email us your thoughts, feelings, and concerns at chaospodcast21 at gmail.com. And... You know, we also take those thoughts, comments, and concerns in five-star iTunes reviews, which we'd really appreciate. <laughs> After this episode, they're probably going to have concerns. <laughs> you know what? 
Just as long as they're in a five star review, we'll <laughs> we'll listen to them. Okay. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the chaos. Safe travels. <laughs>